All right, notice verse 18 of Acts chapter 3. It says, But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, uh, he hath so fulfilled. And the title of my message tonight is All Prophecies Matter. All Prophecies Matter. We've all heard the term All Lives Matter. You know, we hear, you know, Black Lives Matter and all that. And uh, people like to use those slogans like that. And so I kind of want to steal that. And I just want to say All Prophecies Matter, including minority prophecies, including ones that are not mentioned a lot, including ones that are only mentioned one time. They matter. They matter just like the ones that are mentioned over and over again. They all matter. Every one of the prophecies are important. And something that we see over and over again in the New Testament is how it mentions how what Jesus did was a fulfillment of a prophecy. And so right here in Acts, when he's preaching here, you know, he points out the fact that God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Making it very clear that Jesus is the Messiah because he's the one that has fulfilled all these things. Because we've got to understand, this: the word of God, that Old Testament, it is the word of God. It is the authority. And Jesus Christ had to do what the Old Testament said he had to do. He had to do all of it. Every bit of it. It was all important. He can't leave any of it out. Every one of these prophecies were very important. He had to fulfill them all. And one thing we see in the Bible is just a constant emphasis on the importance of God's words, all of them. And notice what it says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 15, uh, 56. You don't have to turn to these. I'm going to go through them quick. But it says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. God cares about getting every word that he says right. And that's why he also cares very much about preserving his word. And that's why we believe we have a perfect word of God, because God cares about all of his words, all of them. Not just some of them, not just a general idea. God cares about all of them. And here in 1 Kings chapter 8, it's saying not one word has failed. They've all come to pass, just like God said. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel, as a prophet, when he was given something to say, he said it all. And God commended him for that because he cared about all God's words, not just the things that Samuel thought were important. Because if God thinks it's important, it's important, whether we do or not. And a lot of pastors today, they're leaving out a lot of things in the Bible that they're supposed to teach because they're not popular. You know what? God's not pleased with that. God wants us following everything. God wants us preaching the whole counsel of God. And so Samuel got that special recognition. We see in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. All these things that were prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus came to fulfill all those things. He said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He wanted it all done. Every bit of it. He said, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter 
into the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, a lot of us today as Christians, I could get away, you know, in the religious world with not preaching all of the Bible. In fact, I would probably be a little more popular in this world today if I wouldn't preach some of the Bible. But Jesus said, you know, whoever teaches these least commandments and teaches others, they're going to be greatest. You know why? Because God cares about all of his words. God cares about the big commandments. He uh, cares about the little commandments. God cares about the big prophecies. He's going to make sure he fulfills all the big prophecies, but he's going to fulfill all the little prophecies too because all of them are important to God. Every single one of them matter. And in Acts chapter 10, in verse 43, it says to him, talking about Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So all of the prophets spoke of Jesus. Everything recorded about Jesus was important in all four Gospels. You know, obviously, they couldn't tell us everything that happened in the entire life of Jesus, but it told us the things that we needed to know. It told us the things that were the most important, and the things that it mainly focused on were fulfillments of prophecies. In fact, we're going to look at several of them here, but um, understand one thing that you'll see over and over again, especially in the book of Matthew and uh, John, is it'll constantly say, and it was fulfilled as spoken by the prophet. When it would tell us something that Jesus did, it would point out the prophecy that was being fulfilled. Now, why is it doing that? Are they doing that so they can just wow everybody with, wow, look at what God knew what was going to happen before it happened. Now, part of it, I think that is it. Part of us, when we see how Jesus fulfilled these things, it just showed God had a plan from the beginning. But it's also doing it, you could say, for legal reasons. Because the law of God, that Old Testament, does matter. And God is making sure, and the, uh, the writers were making sure that the Jews knew, and everyone knew, that Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of these things because they were all important. So we see in Matthew 1.22, and I want you to just kind of make a mental note of each one of these things that are mentioned. All right? Just kind of make a mental note. And it says in Matthew 1.22, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying... Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, what, so what was being done? Jesus Christ being born of a virgin. Matthew 1 tells us about that virgin birth of Mary. And you, you know what? We all believe, I think everybody believes, that one of the fundamentals of the faith is the virgin birth of Christ, the deity of Christ. If Jesus is not born of a virgin, then we have no Savior. If Jesus is not God, then we have no Savior. So all these things are being recorded because these things are necessary, not just because it is just what needed to be done, but because it's what the Bible said was going to be done. God's word has to come true. If God lies, we're in big trouble. If God gets something wrong, we're in big trouble. So the virgin birth is a must. We have to believe that. Somebody denies the virgin birth, we would say they're not saved, and we'd be right. And so we see in Matthew chapter 2, verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So Jesus going to Egypt was a fulfillment of prophecy. That, ha- that had to happen. We see in Matthew 4.13, And leaving Nazareth, 
he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Nephilim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. So even where Jesus was going to preach, that was something that was prophesied. And Matthew records it. Matthew 8.16 says, When they even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So this, these things, one of the reasons these specific things are recorded, it's showing Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures. Again, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. Jesus didn't, you know, God didn't look and say, you know what, I was too harsh in that Old Testament. You know what, let's tear that one up and let's just do a New Testament. No, that's not what he did. God went and he sent Jesus to fulfill all those things so we could have that New Testament. Because otherwise, according to the Old Testament, we all get to get wiped out. But thankfully, Jesus came and he offered a sacrifice of himself that was acceptable to God, making a way of salvation for all those who would believe in the future and all those who would believe in the past. Thank God he did all these things. And so the Bible, it's making sure to record these things. And I've got scripture after scripture. Uh, we're not going to take time to uh, read all of these. But um, let's go. Uh, we'll re I'll read a few more. Just for example, Matthew 13, 34. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables. And without a parable, spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So it was prophesied he would speak in parables. Uh, Matthew 21, 4. All this was done that might be fulfilled and spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. We talked about that this morning. Jesus did that. Oh, that was prophesied by Zechariah. Uh, them coming to Jesus uh, as a thief and the disciples forsaking him. That was prophesied. We see that in Matthew 26, 55, and 56. In Matthew 27, 35, it says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. So even that, the, the, what the soldiers did, them casting lots on his vesture, that was a fulfillment of prophecy, that had to happen in John. There's many examples in John. Let me just hit a few of these uh, that I think are important. Um, look at chapter, well, chapter 17, verse 12 says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Did you know Judas was prophesied? That was also a fulfillment of prophecy. That was something that was necessary. We talked about this. I think it was on, I think it was on Wednesday that we talked about this in John 19, 28. It says, after this, uh, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. And now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. 
So even that, him taking the vinegar, that was prophesied in Psalms that he would do that. And so once Jesus realized everything's done, he says, I thirst, so he can take that vinegar and do one final thing that he's got to do to fulfill Scripture. Because Jesus came to fulfill Scripture. He came to fulfill prophecy because all the prophecies were important. And even, even they, uh, for example... Uh, John 19.36 says, For all these things were done, that the Scriptures should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. Even that had to be fulfilled, that none of his bones get broken. His bones were out of joint, but they weren't broken. Again, just the Bible takes spends so much time making sure we understand that Jesus Christ, he fulfilled all these things. All of these prophecies were important. Every single one of them, every single one of them mattered. And he had to do... He, had to do these things to fulfill the scripture. So let me ask you, was the speaking in parables important? Was the taking of the vinegar important? You know, the being rejected. Were not all these things important? These things were very important because they had to be done for the scripture to be fulfilled. Now let me ask you, what part of the scripture could Jesus have not fulfilled in order to be the Messiah? None of it. Is there any prophecy that Jesus could have just skipped? Well, hey, man, it's, you know, I, I just, you know, I know I'm here to be the Messiah, but I'm just going to focus on the cross because I looked in the future and I saw what the camp meeting preachers were saying, and you know, I, I can bypass some of these other things. I don't need to heal these people of their sicknesses. I don't need to take on their infirmities, even though the pro- prophets prophesied I would do that. No, he did all of these things in Acts 3:18. Jesus did all of the things that the prophecy, the prophets had prophesied of him. He did it, fulfilling Scripture. They all mattered. And you know what else the prophets taught? Let me tell you something else that the prophets taught. They taught that Jesus was going to go to hell. It says in Acts 16, or or not Acts, uh, Psalm 16, verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. So if it's prophesied, that he would go, his soul would be in hell. Doesn't he have to do that in order to be the Messiah? Isn't that pretty important? Well, I don't, you know, I don't know if we know for sure what that means exactly. Well, here's the thing about that prophecy too. You know, there's some prophecies that are vague. You know, some people question, hey, did Jesus really get his beard plucked out? Because there is a prophetic passage in Isaiah that talks about the beard being plucked, but we don't see that recorded in any of the gospels. Now here, let me say, well, what's your position on it? If that is in fact what the prophet was saying, what happened to Jesus, then I believe it happened to him. Even if the gospels didn't record it, if that is in fact, if you could convince me 100% that that is a prophecy that the Messiah would have his beard ripped out, then I believe that happened to Jesus, whether they recorded it in the gospels or not. But I, I, and I'm not interested in arguing with that. Here's what I will say. While there might be some things about prophecy I don't understand 100%. I do believe Jesus fulfilled all of them. And I might be wrong on an interpretation of how a prophecy is fulfilled. But I will tell you this. I believe he fulfilled it. I believe he did it. And here's the thing about Psalms. You can say, well, you know, that prophecy is kind of vague. You know, but here's the problem with that. Acts quotes it. Acts tells us it happened. Acts told, look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. 
It says, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, in case anybody's wondering what David was talking about, he said, therefore, in verse 30, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. So, Folks, there's no doubt what that was talking about. There's absolutely no doubt what that was talking about. And, and, you know, and that's just, you know, that's one example. I think Jonah chapter two is proof also. But you know what? Even without Jonah, if Acts or if uh, Psalms is all we have, it's enough. Especially when you consider we have the fulfillment recorded and we have that Psalm quoted in the book of Acts, there's absolutely no doubt about the fact that this, this happened. This is not a just an opinion based on a vague passage. We have the prophecy and we have the fulfillment of the prophecy recorded and explained and clarified. And so just one prophecy, if that's all it was, it would be enough to matter. And not only do we have the prophecy, we have the fulfillment recorded. And it says Jesus was loosed. From the pains of death. Proving that he wasn't in paradise. Having a good time. Paradise, pains of death. Those sound like different things. To me, those sound like very different things. So, we live in a very divided world today. And there is no exception when it comes to the IFV. Okay? We fight about everything. And everyone wants to form their own little camp where... Because of a position that they hold, they're better than everybody else. And that's pretty normal, carnal human nature. It's not a good thing, but it's pretty normal. But this type of thinking, though, I think it does more harm to people's preaching than just about anything. Because in order to prove they're right, people will go to just amazing lengths to just twist scripture, to twist what the Bible has to say, and just come up with the most foolish arguments that you could ever imagine. So, now, what? Let me just take a minute to help you all out with something. I'm going to help, I want to help you all. I don't want you all to be manipulated. I don't even want to be able to manipulate you. But something that is very common that I'm seeing all the time, and I'm pro, I'm sure because I'm an American and I watch Fox News and because I've grown up in the IFB world, I've probably done this type of thing before because this is something that just we do as argumentative Americans. And let me tell you, if I've done this before, I repent of it. I apologize. And if you even show me where I, where I specifically did it, I'll admit it. Okay. And it doesn't have to be 10 years ago. If I did it last week, I, I don't ever want to do this again because I'm, I'm sick of saying this. I'm sick of it. It's out of control. And this, this method that people are using to manipulate you into, into just to kind of control what you think about things. And it, it's some of the worst preaching you'll ever hear. 
It's when a preacher gets up and he has an argument against somebody else's position who's not there. Some of the worst preaching I'll ever hear. And the problem with doing this is there's no way, you know, for that person to be held accountable if they lie or if they misrepresent or if they just use logical fallacies. And most preachers, when they do this in the pulpit, the type of preachers that do this, they will never let themselves be corrected. They will never be held accountable because, you know, they just won't. This is a very manipulative way of preaching. And you do this when you don't have Bible. You have to do this when you don't have Bible to prove your argument. And so this, this, fa- this logical fallacy I'm seeing today, I was trying to think of what you'd call it because I, I keep seeing people do this argument. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know the names of all the logical fallacies. So I looked them up because I was like, there's got to be a name because basically a logical fallacy it's an error in reasoning that's common enough to warrant a fancy name. And so I was like, there, there's, I know Baptists aren't the only ones doing this junk. So I like, I looked them up and I'm reading all of them to see which one fit what I'm seeing. And uh, sure enough, it's called the red herring fa- fallacy. Okay. It's the red herring fallacy. And, cause, and remember, a fallacy is just an unsound argument. Okay? A lot of times people, they get up and they just have these arguments, but they don't make any sense. And they act like they really showed somebody, but it's like you proved nothing. You sounded really good saying what you were saying. You know, you seem very convinced that you won the argument, but your argument made no sense. Your reasoning was off. It was an un, it was unsound. It was an unsound argument. It was a red herring fallacy. So the red herring fallacy, it is a distraction from the argument, typically with some sentiment that seems to be relevant, but isn't really on topic. So this topic, or this tactic, it's common when someone doesn't like the current topic and they want to detour into something else instead. So it's something that's easier or safer to address. Uh, so a red herring fallacy is typically related to the issue in question, but isn't quite relevant enough to be helpful. So instead of clarifying and focusing, it confuses and distracts. Okay? So well, I don't know what that is. Well, let me give you a good example of one. All right. And this is another one. I, I see people do this a lot. But let's say me as a pastor. Now I, I get annoyed and it, I'm bothered quite often when I see pastors, you know, go get heavily involved in politics and they just become politicians. And I've even known some pastors that left their ministry to go into politics. I don't like that. I would rather they stay in the pulpit, keep preaching the word of God. That's what I would rather them do. If I was their pope, I wouldn't let them step down from their pulpit and go into politics. Now I know, and I know right now a lot more are getting more involved too. And you know, and, and as much as I don't like it, you know, you can't really blame them a whole lot after all they've had to deal with this last year. I know one pastor out in New Jersey I've met and I've talked to him several times and um, he's, he's running for governor. In New Jersey. And you know, you know, honest, obviously, I, if he would have asked, what do you think I should do? I wouldn't have recommended that, but he's doing that. And I don't particularly, and honestly, I hope he wins. Okay. You know, I, I'm pulling for him. He's chosen to do that. You know, I, I hope he wins. If I live in New Jersey, I'd vote for him. But at the same time, let's just say, though, you know, I get bent out of shape because he didn't recognize me as his pope and he didn't ask my advice on the situation. And I don't know why he would have, but, you know, I'm mad anyway, because I am 
Tom, Pastor Tom McMurtry of Liberty Baptist Church, we're the best, and everybody should ask my opinion on everything, <laughs> even though I'm not their pope. That's how I feel about things. But I don't like it that he went into politics. Now, I don't really have a verse that says he can't. You know, there's there's nothing in the Bible that teaches that you can't try to influence your political leaders, that you can't get involved in some way. There's no command against that thing. So what I could do is though I could get up and I could tell you all to go to Matthew chapter 28, where it says, go ye into all the world and run for office. Is that what it says? No, it says, preach the gospel. You know, these people, if they want to change things, they need to preach the gospel and not go run for office. Well, wait a minute. Can't you do both? Is, can, you know, why is it that whenever we don't like what somebody's doing, we start preaching about soul winning? You know what that's called? It's called red herring. It's called a distraction. You know, I don't like what he's doing. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to get involved in this. So I'm going to go change the subject of something that seems like it could be related, but it's not. Because you can be a soul winner and be involved in politics. Now, I don't see too many people doing that, but just because I don't see too many people doing that, does that mean it's impossible? Do I now get to condemn this person for doing that? Folks, that's not a sound argument. That's not a logical argument. If I don't want you, as, you know, maybe I just don't want to fight the government right now over the mask mandates and all these other things. You know, like, you know, what does the Bible say? Go to all the world, you know, fight the mask mandate. You know, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty through God. Well, wait a minute. Why, why can't I stand against masks and be a soul winner? Do you see how these things, they're not necessarily related, but when a pastor gets uncomfortable with these things and he wants to just try to tell his people what to do, they try to make you feel bad for standing for something, for participating in something. I had people, too, that were getting all over my case just because I went to a couple of reopen Illinois alleys and I made some videos. It's like, oh, Pastor, it seems like all you care about is politics. You know, shouldn't you be thinking more about spreading the gospel? Well, here's the thing. I go sewing two times a week. I've been to two political rallies in the last, my life, I think. <laughs> okay? So I'm never, if, I'm never allowed to go to any of these things. I mean, you go, most of the videos are on our YouTube channel. It's all preaching. You know, it, it's all doctrinal things. But then I do a couple political things, and my whole ministry is focused on politics. You know, in past time, it seems like all you do is talk about this subject. No, those, those are the only sermons that you listen to online. Go look at the sermons that have the title Jesus in it, and watch how fewer views they have than if it has reprobate in the title. That, that, that's the way it is. You, you're not here all the time. You don't see everything that's going on. But, you know, it makes you uncomfortable that I get involved in something. So what do you do? You come up with a logical fallacy and you start talking about a red herring. You get distracted over soul winning as if a person can't do both. Do you see how dishonest of an argument that is? Don't do that type of thing to people. If you see somebody on Facebook promoting something that you're not really comfortable with, don't go, oh, you should spend your more time soul winning. That's what people do on Twitter all the time, too. I do anything on Twitter. I do a tweet. It takes me like 20 seconds to type up a tweet. I hit send. Well, I think you should be spending more time preaching the gospel. You know, does your church know you're doing this stuff? It's like, you people are out of your mind. You have no idea. It's like I'm not allowed any leisure time. You know, some people go hunting and trying to shoot deer. I try sniping trendies <laughs> online. That's what I do. Okay, my tweets hurt them just as bad as a bullet does to a lot of animals. And if I'm not allowed a little pleasure sport every once in a while, then you know what? 
you know, you're going to have one mean, stressed out pastor. I got to have some way to just kind of release some tension. And I could be making all of you mad, but you know what? I could go making a bunch of weird skinny jean wearing, you know, trendies mad. What would you rather have? You want me sniping you or sniping them? Oh, if you were more spiritual. You see, these arguments don't hold water. These arguments don't make sense, but they are everywhere in the religious world. And what's horrible is they're coming out and people's preaching. They're doing these things constantly behind the pulpit. These are distractions from the real argument. They are irrelevant from the conversation at hand. This is deception, is what it is. It's deception. Now, the red herring fallacy that people are using on this issue of Jesus going to hell is uh, the, the way they're doing it is, for example, there's many ways it's being done, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Where does it say anything about Him going to hell? Where does it say anything about that? And then I can get up here and for the next 30 minutes, I can get up, I can dramatically read references about the cross and then just keep asking, where does it say he paid for our sins in hell? Bible says he did it with his blood on the cross. Therefore, he didn't go there. Really? That, my friends, is a red herring. That, my friends, is a distraction. That is deception. You are avoiding an uncomfortable subject. And let me tell you something. It's not a pleasant thought to think that Jesus was in hell for three days. But for some reason, it's a pleasant thought to think he's on the cross. But for some reason, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a pleasant thing to say. But it happened. The Bible records it. It tells us that it happened. And so we don't get to ignore it. And, you know, and so to preach a whole message doing this type of thing and going to the Scriptures where it says, or not going to the Scriptures, where it does say Christ went to hell, it's deceptive. If it says it was going to happen one time in the Bible, then it happened. All prophecies matter, including those in the minority. And so the next argument that people make, which is just another logical fallacy, it's the straw man fallacy. They will say that the Bible doesn't emphasize it, therefore we're not going to emphasize it. But here's the problem with that. Who's saying that you have to? Who, you know, who is telling you, listen, you make sure you cover this in your gospel presentation about Jesus going to hell. I don't hear anybody saying that, but let me ask you this. What if I got up and I said, you know, do you emphasize the drinking of the vinegar in your gospel presentation? Does anybody do that? Has anybody ever heard anybody preach that? Listen, he had to do that to fulfill the scriptures. You leave that out of your gospel presentation, none of those people are getting saved. Okay? Now, if that's the case, I probably haven't gotten anybody saved because I don't know if I've ever used that in my gospel presentation, the drinking of the vinegar. But understand, that that had to be done. How about the casting lots upon his vesture? Did y'all bring that up? I mean, it's a part of the story of the crucifixion. Therefore, it's a part of the gospel. But yet, you know, nobody's telling you you have to emphasize that. Nobody's telling you you have to emphasize the parables. And we could go on and on with all these things. Knowing nobody, Nobody's telling you to emphasize these things over the cross. But 
Don't try to prove they didn't happen. It, don't, and that's what they're doing. They're taking something that the Bible says was going to happen, something the Bible says did happen, and then they have they have this red herring argument, and they're trying to prove that it didn't happen, and then they're butchering Acts chapter two. Well, you know, pains of death. That's just referring because it was painful when he was dying. No, Bible says that God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible he should be holding of it. It means he was in pain in death. That's what that means. The pain didn't stop for him on the cross. It continued in death, and God loosed him from that by raising him up. God didn't loose him from the pains of death when he let his life leave. No, it was when when he raised him up. That's when the pain went away, when he was raised up from the dead. So, again... I'm not saying you have to emphasize that in your gospel presentation. I don't know of anybody that's saying that, but please don't try to prove that it didn't happen. Please, you know, I'm not telling you you have to focus on that scripture in your gospel presentation, but please don't try to prove that it didn't happen because all of these prophecies matter. And if you want to avoid it, again, I don't know. I I think the whole part about the casting lots upon his vesture is just, I don't really understand why that was even, well, you you don't have to talk about that. Somebody can get saved without knowing about them casting lots upon his vesture and about that fulfillment of prophecy, but don't try to prove it didn't happen. Don't go, well, I know that's what the Bible says there, but I I don't think that really happened because it's all about the cross and the blood. And if, if the Roman soldiers casting lots on his vesture was part of it, then you're saying that Jesus and the Roman soldiers did the work for our salvation. That's what you're saying. You're giving credit to Jesus and the Roman soldiers. Well, no, I'm not. But, you know, at the the same time, Jesus couldn't nail himself to the cross and beat himself. Roman soldiers. But you see these things people jump to. Why? Because for some weird reason, they've adopted a more of a political position than a scriptural position. And when you when you tell me, well, I went and I did my own study, and then you go and you get up and you read a verse about the cross, where does it say Jesus is going to hell? Ladies and gentlemen, you did not do your own study. You got your talking points from somebody else. You joined a political movement. You joined a group. You, nobody, nobody reads their Bible and comes up with something like that. I'm sorry, you lost me right there. You're not, you're not telling the truth. So we could go on and on about these things. And you know what? If somebody did, though, if somebody got up and they talked about how Jesus took the vinegar, about how they, you know, we, you know what we wouldn't say? We wouldn't accuse them of teaching a vinegar atonement. We wouldn't do that. You know, we, and listen, don't accuse people because they believe Jesus went to hell of believing or teaching a hell atonement. I believe in a blood atonement. I believe in a blood atonement. I just also believe that he was dead for three days and went to hell like the prophet said he was going to. That's what I believe. You know, I believe the casting of lots on his vesture was important because God said it was going to happen. But don't tell me I believe in a casting lots upon a vesture atonement. So that's ridiculous. Yes, and it's also ridiculous to say that people believe in a hell atonement for that. So Because when you start denying clear prophecies, and then start ignoring the real argument with the red herring fallacy while accusing others of teaching a hell atonement, guess what? You're going to get called out. 
You're going to get called out when you use weird arguments like that. Now, if you're, if you're not comfortable, if you are not comfortable talking about Christ's time in hell, I'm not going to tell you you're not saved. I don't think you're, I don't think you're required to talk about the vinegar in your gospel presentation. But if someone does and you accuse them of heresy, you're going to get called out because that's really stupid to do that. That's a really, that's a really dumb thing to do. And unfortunately today, people are, in order to look like they, you know, are just have this better position, they're putting all the emphasis on one area. And listen, we emphasize the cross around here. We sing songs about the blood and about the cross. You better believe, but we don't pretend other prophecies didn't happen. We, we don't go mangling scriptures. All of these things were so important and we don't want to just ignore these things. I want to, let me read a few more of these prophecies because there's, there's so much good stuff in here. It says in, um, John 12, 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and that I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. So notice, I, the Bible also records how they saw these things. They saw him. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. David, seeing, it mentioned in Acts chapter 2, how David saw these things. Here in Isaiah, it says that Isaiah saw these things. And so he wrote about these things that he saw prophetically that were about Jesus Christ. And so when these things happened, these things were fulfillment. John fifteen twenty three says, He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. It was prophesied that they would hate Jesus without a cause. In their law. And you know what? That was fulfilled. That had to be done. And again, we, we've only scratched the surface. But did you know even... This is another interesting thing, too. When you look at all these prophecies that were being fulfilled from the Old Testament, the Bible teaches these things had to take place. Even Jesus' words that he spoke, the, the prophecies he spoke, they were considered Scripture. You know why? Because he's the Word of God. The things that God says, they have to come to pass. It says in John 18, 8, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he, if therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which ye spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Even Jesus' disciples, none of them could die in this situation because Jesus in his prayer mentioned how he had lost none of them except for the son of perdition. And so it's right here, this passage, it's saying this happened so these words that Jesus had literally just prayed probably an hour ago or less might be fulfilled. Because if Jesus says something's going to happen, it has to happen. John eighteen thirty one says, Then said Pilate unto them, 
Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. So just like the book of Matthew and John was constantly saying this was done so this prophecy would be fulfilled, some of the things that happened when Jesus died was saying this happened that this saying of Jesus might be fulfilled. Because when Jesus said it was going to happen, that was the word of God. That was prophecy. It had to happen. All of these things matter. All prophecies matter and do not fall for logical fallacies that preachers come up with based off political positioning. Don't, don't go falling for that stuff. That's what these things are based off of because teaching certain things that will get you in trouble with certain groups. And, and I get it. I get it. Okay. There are some things that are a little deep, maybe a little confusing, but when you go as far as butchering a scripture, you know, there are some passages that I'm just not comfortable with because it's like, that's a tough passage right there. I'm not a hundred percent sure what that means. I'm not going to run my mouth about that passage. I might have my opinion, but until I'm a hundred percent sure, I'm not going to run my mouth about it. So you, you're allowed to be quiet on these things, but then to see people go and then attack people and accuse them of horrible things because of that, I think is completely out of line and it freaks me out. Don't fall for that. You know, don't insult your congregation by acting like they're dumb enough to fall for these things that, you know, just because it makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, you know, Pastor, why don't you preach harder against the homos? Well, you know, it's not, I, I think we need to focus on love. Okay, well, why can't we talk about love and still talk about how wicked the homos are? <laughs> well, is it impossible? Ah, uh, you know, these some of these preachers are always talking about, hey, you know, you can do both. These are distractions. Well, I'm not comfortable talking about this. I'm not talking about. I'm not comfortable talking about perverts. I'm just going to talk about grace because it's all, all about grace. And I'm better than all those people that will talk about the perverts because of that. No, you're just, you're a coward and you're distracting. That's not related. This is another, this is another subject. And this is a very common thing that people are doing. And we just need to understand everything matters. And when you understand that everything matters too, you know what it causes you to do? It causes you to pay a little closer attention to the scriptures because we understand that every word of God, it matters. Every word of God is important. And I want to know how these things are fulfilled. And when we learn how these things are fulfilled, it teaches us things. Those things that we talked about on Wednesday, about the triumphant entry and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff, you know, those, the reason, you know, there was a lot of the interesting stuff in there that there was is because we took the time to go back and look at those prophecies that they referred to. And when we saw all those things, we're looking in there and trying to see where that was fulfilled in Christ's day. And all of a sudden, everything now starts making sense. All of a sudden, now I get why he went into the temple. I understand why he went in the temple. I understand why he drove them out. I understand why he quoted that verse about my house being a house of prayer. You made it and did it in a feast. All these things make sense now. Malachi 3 all of a sudden makes a little more sense. When you, when you do all these things, but when you start just going and casting things aside, because you're uncomfortable talking about it and then criticizing those who are comfortable talking about it, you're going to end up missing the boat.
And thank God for a Bible that is in every word perfect. And this is another reason, too. These people are just never going to convince me that we don't have a perfect Bible. When you see the amount of emphasis, you know, there are a lot of, show me in the King James Bible where it says King James Bible, you know, Bible for the English speaking people. So, and, you know, that's, that's another fallacy right there. When you, when you do that, that's a, that's a total fallacy right there. But let me just say this. I can show you all over in my King James Bible where God cared about every one of his words. And he wasn't going to let one jot or tittle fail from the law till all was fulfilled. And you all realize there are still some things, and Acts 3 talks about it, we didn't read it, that still are yet to be fulfilled at Christ's return. So here's the thing. How are we going to know if he fulfills all those things if we don't have a Bible? Is he going to finally bring that perfect Greek Bible? You know, did Jesus save all the originals in heaven and he'll bring it back with him. We can find out all the stuff I was got. You know, this is, folks, this is dumb. These are, these are crazy things people are coming up with. And you know what? Let's just believe the Bible. And if you're not comfortable with something in the scriptures, you know, if, I'm not telling you you have to take a strong position, but you know what? Shut up about it until you get it figured out. And don't try applying heresies and things to people aren't right. That is out of line. It's a red herring. Don't fall for red herrings. Don't let me get away with preaching that. It's a super easy thing to do. It's a, it's a real easy thing to do, and, but it's 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 not right. And I don't I don't ever want to do it again. And I, so I hope this was a help and blessing. Let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you for your word. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll uh, help us to learn from these things, Lord, and help us. Uh, I pray, if anything, Lord, that this lesson if it did anything. It helps us to just treasure every one of your words that will uh, look into your word closely and will and uh, look for those fulfillments, understanding every one of them is important. Every one of them matters. There's things you're trying to teach us. Uh, you're, you're showing us your holiness and Lord, just how uh, right you are on these things. And so I pray you'll help us to uh, not get sloppy with the scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen.